so thrilled today that as long as everything goes well, I no longer have to stay at the pulpit to see my little notes, which are just little memory triggers for me. We got it working where I can actually see my notes on the iPad at the same time as controlling my presentation. So, hallelujah. That means I can roam the sanctuary with freedom. <laughs> you guys are like, man, if he roams anymore, <laughs> yeah, that man's been in the back row. But I always have to come back here. <laughs> so, I want to start off today by talking about a recent float trip that we took with the church. It was it was a couple's float, and, and we moved over here, and, and uh, we decided, you know, we're going to be a part of this float trip. My wife and I did. And my wife, being my wife, was a little nervous about it. She doesn't like water, um, other than pools and showers and bathtubs. You know, she's one of those people that it, she likes to be able to see the bottom completely and totally, no matter how deep it is, right? So she likes the clean stuff. But, uh, but, but we decided to go out and be a part of this. Sarah, and so when we went over there, you know, <laughs> it was kind of funny because the McCandless's, we got to the McCandless's house and, and we knew there were some kayak choices that we could have and there were, you know, a couple of different canoes and it's like, what do you guys want to do? So, so we took this canoe, we decided we'd do this canoe and I was a little nervous about the canoe because I was thinking, you know, this would be better if Sarah was in a kayak by herself that was, you know, really low to the water, probably be more stable, all of these things. But, uh, but Sarah was really nervous about the kayak part of it. And so we ended up in this canoe. Now, everybody is just encouraging Sarah to relax and have fun, but Sarah was a little bit scared. Sarah was a little bit nervous about this because Sarah felt like that she was drifting in dangerous waters. Now, now there's some of you that are like, dude... It's the Allegheny River. How dangerous could those waters be? I mean, we're familiar with them. There's some of us who are very familiar with the Allegheny River. People that were on the float trip were saying things like, Pastor, you can walk across the Allegheny River this time of year at any point and never get more than this deep. Right? And, and, and all of these different things. And, and by the way, I'm not nervous about water at all. And they were just trying to get Sarah to really feel confident in this whole thing. And they, they told her, you know, if you tip over, which, you know, when you got somebody scared of tipping over, don't say if. You, when you, you know, and don't say when you tip over. Just leave the tipping over part alone. Amen? So, but they said, you know, when you tip over, if you tip over, we don't want you to worry about it. You know, you're going to be able to walk across. It's not going to be anything like that. Now, Sarah was having these feelings of fear. She's having these feelings of nervousness about this. And, but it's because she was unfamiliar with the canoe. She's unfamiliar with the Allegheny River and all of these things. But those who were more familiar with the river, with the canoes, with the kayaks, were more and more comfortable in this. They were willing to get into the water and drift and to do those things. They were like, it's going to be safe. It's going to be fine. Nothing's going to happen. Now, I want to share with you, eventually, and, and we got going, and I thought to myself, boy, there's no way we're going to make it down this river the way Sarah's getting all rigid. 
And I said, honey, just sit up straight, you know, and like, if don't try to, if the boat leans a little this way or leans a little that way, don't, don't try to fix it. Let me fix it. You just sit up. It's kind of like if you're riding passenger on a motorcycle, you don't try to lean the bike, let the driver do it. All right. I'm like, but at one point, you know, we think she, she starts to relax. Things are getting better. And then I don't know what happened. She started getting really nervous again. She tensed up. Bill McCandless was behind us. He said, he looked and he's like, oh, this is going to go bad. She's so tense and scared. And he starts trying to talk her into getting, switching boats with him, getting in the kayak and him getting in the canoe. And uh, yes, Bill ended up riding girl down the river with me. <laughs> so, sorry, Bill. The pictures are on Facebook already, so you can't deny it. it happened. And this is exactly what Bill was afraid of that it would be brought up at church. He's like, man, there's nothing sacred with this guy. So we're going, and I don't know what happened, but Sarah just gets to lean in a little bit, and, and I think maybe she thinks she's sitting up straight. I'm not exactly sure, but like she's not trying to come back up to sit straight. And this is all happens in about two seconds. Now, I'm like, okay, we should be able to touch anywhere. You know, these guys are really familiar with the river. It gets far enough over. I'm like, we're going over. So I slip out of the boat to try to get her back up. I slip out of the boat in about six and a half foot of water. It was over my head. (laughs) About six and a half foot of water. I kept the boat upright, but not Sarah. Sarah came on out too as I, you know, on the bottom with my arm held up like this. And, And it was really just not good. Somehow or another, and Sarah's upset about this, I saved my glasses. She's like, you saved your glasses, but you didn't save me. (laughs) Right? I caught my glasses in the water. I'm like, oh, my glasses. And I stuck my hand out, and bam, right there in my hand. I'm like, that is, that is, that shouldn't have happened, but it did happen. Right? So, you know, it's just kind of funny. You know, I just want to, you know, we're... This relative comfort that everybody had with the river versus Sarah's fear of the river kind of showed just a completely different, just a completely different way of approaching the river. Just a completely different way of approaching the river. But you know, I want to tell you something about the Allegheny River. Those of us who are comfortable with it. This past summer, right under the bridge here in town, right before we went on this float trip, there was a young lady in a canoe who nearly died. You look at the river, you look at the, the, the water underneath of there from up above, and you can't tell. It's a class two rapid. Now, a class two rapid is not a huge rapid, but it's for, you know, it gets a little dicey with even experienced canoers going through a class two rapid. You don't believe me? Ask the deals. They had waves when they did that, they went through there, they had waves coming over. We, Bill and I, after Sarah was out of the boat, nearly went over because we decided, ooh, let's go in that with the canoe. And Bill, and we got a little, we made it through, and Bill's like, well, I thought we were going. I'm like, yeah. I had a wave come, not, you know, this way, but sideways, and hit me in the chest. It was that high. So it was a little dicey, but this lady almost died. The fire department had to get her out. And there's been actual deaths this summer in the Allegheny River. Do you know that most of the time, when people die in these bodies of water, it's because they're familiar and comfortable with them and they drift along without thinking. It's because of familiarity 
that the water becomes more and more dangerous. And, and we start taking things for granted in these waters. There's been people this summer who haven't been so lucky who've died. Jesus teaches us that this level of comfort is something that we should be concerned with and, and that we should be worried about and that we should address when it comes to spiritual things as well. So I want you to go ahead and open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2. And we're going to pick it up in Hebrews chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And when you see where it says 3a, that means we're reading the first half of the verse. Let me just give you something about scripture references. 3a usually means the first, or you know, a at the end of a reference means the first half of the verse. B means the second half of the verse. And if you see somebody put a reference of f or or 2f, ff, that means starting at that verse and the passage following. Okay? A, first half of the verse. B, second half of the verse. F or FF means starting at that passage and, or starting at that verse and following. Okay, so we're going to read this together. Here's what Jesus says. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message decreed by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Jesus teaches us in these few verses that drifting along in our faith is very dangerous. And I want to suggest to you today, as we get ready to approach this passage of Scripture, if you have been a Christian for more than a month or two, you're the one it's about. It's not about the new believer. It's about the one familiar with Jesus. The more familiar we become with Jesus, the more likely we are to drift. Sarah was not willing to drift in the river. She wanted to paddle, paddle, paddle. She wanted to make sure, steer it this way, avoid those things. She was conscious. Bill and I, because we're more comfortable with this kind of stuff, we're like, hey, let's just float. We'll just, ooh, look there. Let's go into the dangerous spot. All those things, right? So, it, so I want you to understand, this isn't about baby Christians. This isn't about baby Christians as far as we just got saved. But it is about us taking on an immature stance with the Lord. So let's pray and then we'll move on. Father God, we come before you today. We ask that you would speak to us and that everything that is done in this place today will glorify and honor you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And God's people say, Amen. So, you say, well, how do you, how do you say that this is not about young Christians, it's about Christians who've known Jesus for a little while? Because when we're brand new believers, and I've not met, I can't think of any Christian that, got, that has gotten saved 
who wasn't like hungry, desperate. Hey, teach me about Jesus. I want to get in the Word. I, I believe the Scripture tells us that if, it, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. You become alive to spiritual things. You And you begin to realize that you're dry. You begin to realize that you're thirsty. And you begin to realize that you need to pursue these things. And so we're active about it. But as we learn things about Jesus, as we're filled with His living water that comes into us, as we become familiar with His Word, I think that we tend to become a little less active in our faith, even if we're reading our Bible every day. Even if we're praying every day. Because we think, well, I know this already. And so we begin to kind of skim over passages of Scripture. We go, oh, I've heard sermons on that before. I'm good. Right? We hear all of these kind of different ways we approach it. In different ways. Eventually we start to to get comfortable with our faith and we start to drift along. We just kind of like in the kayak we're floating down or in the canoe we're floating down the river and we're just kind of letting the current take us wherever the current takes us. But can I tell you something about our faith? It's like the river. Everywhere the current takes you in the river is not a good place to be. We were getting ready to come around. Bill's already in my boat. Sarah and I are already wet. Bill's in my boat. And, and Bill would say his boat because he's the man. But anyways, but Bill's, Bill and I are in a boat already together. And Bill's hollering at everybody that they need to actively paddle and go to this other side of the river because where they're going is not good. You're going to get stuck there. You're, it's going to not, this is not where you want to be. You need to be over here. It was really weird. We need to be over here really close to the shore was where the deep water was that we could navigate through. Just drifting was taking us into the place we didn't want to be. Bill's calling this out. I I want you to understand that the scripture is very clear about this. That we must pay close attention to spiritual things as well because we have a tendency to drift away from the truth. That's what verse 1 says. Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we've heard lest we drift away. The writer of Hebrews is telling us there's a real danger in drift. There's a real danger in drift. And we have to pay attention to what Jesus is saying. God warns us against this tendency. Now this might squish your toe this morning. If it does... Get over it. Okay? Seriously. I'm not picking on anybody. I don't hardly know anybody here yet. So if I touch on something, trust me, I didn't study the congregation and say, this is the problem, and I'm going to go after this person. I didn't study and say, well, you know, uh, Dan Gates is, is, you know, he's ugly, so i got to go after ugliness. I figure Dan can take that, right? So it's not so so if I touch something and it hurts your toe, put on your steel-toed boot, say I'm okay. My pastor loves me. He's just trying to guide me. I, I told you that I do this kind of stuff when I came and candidated. That I don't shy away from the truth. Right? <laughs> What's that? You can't guide out You're right. You can't guide out ugly. <laughs> 
I have 38 years to prove that because I haven't been able to guide out of it yet. But, uh, but so I just say, you know what? I'm going to get over this and I'm going to listen. Please do not raise your hand. You're going to be embarrassed if you raise your hand. Answer the question in your head. Are you a mature Christian or not? All right. If you answered yes, I'm talking to you. It is mature Christians who, who most often, in my experience, the ones who would, who would proclaim their own maturity that are the most immature. When somebody tells me as a pastor, I'm a mature Christian, I watch out for them. I do. If you have to tell me you're mature... Right? Do I have to tell you that Keith Lally is a mature adult? Or can you see because of his gray hair? <laughs> I got gray hair too, so it's okay. Right? I don't have to tell you that, right? I don't have to tell you that. Do I have to tell you when someone is handsome or, or, or beautiful or any of those things? No, it's obvious. If you are mature in the Lord, if you are mature spiritually, you don't need to tell people. And if you feel like you do need to tell people, grow up. It's childish. Paul wouldn't even do it. He did he, at one point. He's like, you know, I've never. He tells us in one of his epistles. You know, I'm paraphrasing. You know, I've never really came at you guys with my credentials. But you want to come with the credentials, you know. You want to say, well, I'm a Jew, I'm this, I'm this. He goes, you know, you want to talk about that? Fine. I don't really talk about it. I boast in my weakness. But you want to boast in your pedigree? Fine, let's boast in pedigrees. Man, I was a Jew of Jew. I was, sac- or I was circumcised on the correct day. I was a Pharisee. By the way, a Pharisee to a Jew at the first century was not an insult. It was a compliment. They were the religious elite. Everybody wanted to be one. I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. As to zeal, boy, look at me. As to a persecutor, that, man, that's what I was, baby. That's what Paul was saying. You want to talk, but Paul didn't go around bragging about this stuff. He didn't go around telling everybody how mature he was. If you're telling people how mature you are, if you're thinking that about yourself, grow up. You're not mature. You're who I'm talking to today. And again, I'm not trying to pick on you because I don't know who's saying it. But I feel like the Lord's saying there's people who think that. You're the people who have the tendency to drift. And by the way, there's times in my own life when this happens with me. I start thinking I'm doing pretty good. And when I think I'm doing pretty good, it's about when I'm setting myself up for a big fall. Okay? So... The next thing that we have to to see here is that the Old Testament saints experienced just retribution for not heeding the warnings of the angels and the prophets. Right? The the Old Testament saints, let's look at verse 2. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression and disobedience received just retribution, retribution. What does the word just mean? It means justice, not, you know, this is just a pew. We're talking about just, that it's just under the law, that it's correct, that it's the way things should be. 
right? Let's go back to this mature thing again. The Old Testament saints were expected to know God's Word. They were expected to, to, to understand it. They were expected to live a certain lifestyle. New Testament saints are expected to know God's Word and live a certain lifestyle. We are to be in the world, but not of the world. In the New Testament, all throughout it, be holy, because I am holy. We are part of the Christian Missionary Alliance. We affirm the truth that we see in Scripture. We are a deeper life movement. We believe in personal holiness. It is the people who tell me that they're mature are the same people who say that they can exercise and do certain things because, well, they've got liberty to do this. Really? Really? Ephesians says about Christians that we are, and I I quoted, and I gave this to you guys a few weeks ago when people put it on their Facebook wall and everything else, that we're to act wise and not unwise. It's not about right or wrong. It's about wisdom. Mature Christians act wise and not unwise. Christian liberty is not an excuse to go on sinning. Christian liberty is saying if you're going in some of these areas, don't, you know, it's, you're not going to be condemned and you're not going to be kicked out. You're not going to be thrown out of the kingdom. But it isn't saying that sin doesn't matter to God. The law still tells us what sin is. Our quizzers are studying Romans right now. New Testament book. It says that the law of God stops the mouth of sinners from justifying themselves. It leaves us guilty before a holy God. The law in the life of a New Testament believer has the same application as it does in the life of an Old Testament person. No one's made righteous by keeping the law. The law tells us what is unrighteousness and what is righteousness. What is right? What is wrong? And we operate inside of this wise versus unwise because something may be right, but it may be wise for me to stay away from it even though I can go there. Do you understand where I'm coming from? Am I making sense? Amen? Okay. So we've got to be careful of this stuff. So what are the, what are the things that I'm talking about? What are the things that I'm talking about? You know? I, again, I'm not trying to be legalistic. I don't believe in legalism. Legalism, though, isn't trying... You're not legalistic if you're trying to live a holy life. That's not legalism. Legalism is, I am trying to make myself right with God by keeping the law. Personal holiness says, this is what God expects of us as believers. I, I, I tithe because of my relationship with Jesus, not because of legalistic requirement. I had a brother point out that, and I believe this wholeheartedly, by the way, that as New Testament givers, the tithe is just the beginning. God wants everything we have. He wants more than 10%. He wants it all. He doesn't care about, you know, that. Now, it starts with the tithe. But he wants everything. I'm not trying to pay God off, though. That's legalism. Oh, I'm trying to buy favor. That's legalism. I'm tithing so that Jesus will accept me. Or, or, or I'm watching my language. I remove coarse joking from my mouth. Which the scripture tells us to remove in the New Testament. 
to not coarsely joke. Right? Jesus said, you've heard it was written in days of old, you should not murder. But I tell you, if you hate somebody, you're guilty of murder already in your heart. Grace requires more, not less. It tells us not to associate with the sexually immoral. That's not talking about lost people, guys. It's talking about Christians who are living like the world. We're supposed to reach out to lost people who are sexually immoral. We're supposed to reach out to the community who's caught up in drugs and all that stuff. But it's talking about a person who bears the name of brother. Who's living this way. We need to address it. There's a place in the New Testament. I don't remember which epistle it's in. Where Paul says, and I want to say it's in 1 Corinthians. I could be wrong. Where Paul says that if a person persists in sin, rebuke them publicly like in this setting, so that the rest will stand in fear. What the? You don't want to be the one rebuked, (laughs) right? Now, that's not a first step in discipline, but that's what the Scriptures say, right? The Old Testament's experienced a, a just retribution for not heeding the warnings of the angels and the prophets. But we say, yeah, 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 but that's the Old Testament. That's the law. Remember I told you there's far more similarities between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant than there are differences between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Right? So let's go ahead and, and let's go to the next point here, which says this. God's grace demonstrated by Jesus' sacrifice does not excuse us from living holy lives. It does not excuse from living holy lives. Here's what it says, verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? How shall we escape if we neglect such a great... You're like, oh, yeah, this is talking to lost people. Um, guys, I want to fast forward, and we're going to come back to this in just a minute. I want to fast forward. I want to read something to you really quick. You ready? About this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he's a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore let us... Now check this out. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine, the child doctrine, for new believers. And check, he gives a list of elementary doctrines. The elementary doctrine of Christ. What? By the way, this is chapter 5 and 6. And go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation. Here's a foundation, elementary doctrine of Christ. A foundation of repentance from dead works and faith towards God. Repentance is is a baby doctrine. And instruction about washings, that's like baptism, baby doctrine. Brand new believers should be knowing what baptism is about. The laying on of hands, like we did today. New believers. Every believer should understand that and know that. Right? The resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. Eternal judgment is a baby doctrine. 
Jesus being resurrected, baby doctrine. Us being resurrected again and having eternal life, baby doctrine. Guys, what I'm trying to say to you is this. What I'm trying to say to you is this. The gist of chapters 2 and 5, there's an overriding theme present in the beginning of the book of Hebrews is that our conduct as Christians matters to God. This is because Jesus finished, because that should be possessive, Jesus' finished work has made available the power to live a holy life. Chapters 2 through 5 is about us living holy lives, avoiding being caught up and entangled in sin. As we read this passage, it starts talking about how we live out our faith, how we avoid certain things, how there are certain things that are not to be a part of a Christian's life. And it says in there, the reason that can happen is because Jesus himself was a man who was tempted like us. And so he can sympathize with us in our weakness and he provides power to to get away from this. This week, your homework, and and I'm going to get to this, we're not done yet, but this week your homework is going to be chapters 2 through 5 of Hebrews. Because I need you to understand that me preaching about personal holiness is not taking away grace. We need to go, as we're moving into this passage, these, these few chapters here about this, you need to understand I'm not saying there's no grace. I'm saying grace is not an excuse to keep living a hellish lifestyle. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26, New Testament kids, New Testament teens, New Testament adults, New Testament old people. says that if we deliberately continue to sin after receiving knowledge of sin, there no longer remains forgiveness or grace, but instead a fearful expectation of judgment and of a fury of fire to come. Wrath in the New Testament if we keep living like hell. That's crazy. Why? Because under the Old Testament, they didn't have the empowerment of God's Spirit to be able to do this. But as New Testament believers, you have access to the Holy Spirit, to be filled with His Spirit, and to be able to live according to that. It's not because you're going to be so good as a Christian. It's because Jesus is so good and He'll do it for you. One of our core values is about the empowerment of the Spirit. We can do nothing. Jesus never intended for us to get comfortable in the river of faith. He never intended for us to be in our kayak and quit paddling and strap the paddle onto the side. He never intended that. People always want to quote, I believe it's Romans 8.23, I could be wrong, it's in chapter 8 somewhere, about, you know, we're no longer under the law, but we're under grace. They say, oh, we're no longer under the law, we're under grace. They don't, they don't want to read the next verse where Paul says, so shall we go on sinning that grace may abound? By no means. Grace isn't permission to sin. It's forgiveness for when we do. It's a fresh start for when we fall. 
It's not permission to go do it. It's saying if you do it, you'll be forgiven. Come home. You're not good enough, but God still loves you anyways. That's what grace is. I've already, I've already told you this part of it. But while this seems like a deep theological truth, ah, oh boy, I've really done some typos here. The writer of Hebrews actually states that, that these are elementary, or that this is an elementary doctrine of the faith that new believers should understand. Just don't pay attention to the grammar of that. That's horrible. While this seems like deep theological truth, the writer of Hebrews actually states that this is elementary doctrines of the faith that new believers should understand. That's why I read to you out of chapter 5 and 6. He, he, these are the bookends for this section of the book. He's talking about in chapter 1 how great Jesus is, how powerful Jesus is. Look, He's better than the angels, all of these things. So... Pay attention to what he said. And by the way, we need to start here. Here's what he said. To live a holy life. Hey, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. I've come to give you power to resist sin. I've come to do all of these things. I mean, if the author of faith, which is Jesus Christ, by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, had the initial evidence in his life of being filled with the Spirit, of beating sin, that was his initial evidence. The the Spirit descends on him like a dove at his baptism. And then he immediately goes out in the wilderness for 40 days to be tested and be tempted to sin. His infilling of the Spirit, his initial evidence, was beating sin. If Jesus, who is supposed to be the author and perfecter of our faith, our ultimate model for who we're to walk like, says, I'm not going to go down a certain pathway, we should avoid that pathway too. Rather than declaring, because we're mature, it's okay. In a lot of ways, new believers are doing better than long-time believers. It gets really easy. This is where it's going to really hit home with some of you. It gets really easy if you're already born again to stop coming to training ground. Because you're like, but I already know that stuff. Danger. It's how you drift. Danger. This is dangerous. It's really easy to not get involved in a small group. Well, I don't need that. I've grown in the Lord. I, I'm mature. These people are my church family. All Danger. It's really easy to say, you know what? I'm not going to come to church for a few weeks. I'm going to go out and, and do different things. I've got these important things going on in my life. Danger. All of these things addressed in the book of Hebrews, friends. Let us not give up the habit of meeting as some are inclined to do, but all the more as, the day, as we see the day approaching. Right? It's, it's dangerous. This is how theological drift happens. This is how we get drifting in a, in a river. This is how we get pulled off into false doctrines. This is how we get all jacked up. This is how we get legalistic or liberal. There's danger in this. We're not meant to walk this alone. We're meant to to walk this out in the context of a community. Subject to the authority of a local church. A brother asked me the other day, and, I, and I'm, I'm running, a, 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 taking a chance here. I, I'm not going to say who it was. I don't think he would mind me sharing. He asked me, why, why be a member of the church? 
Because if you're not a member of the church, you're not under the authority of the local church. If you're not a member of the local church, you're not under the church's authority. We can't discipline you if you start teaching heresy in our country. Our country, if, if you are not a member and you're teaching her- if you're not a member and you're teaching heresy, and I approach you and call you out on that heresy, you can take our church to court, sue us, and probably win. It will go into the legal court system. If you're a member of the church, then you've said, I will subject myself to the, to the ecclesial authority of this church. So we say, Carol, who's a member, you can't teach that anymore. That's, that's wrong doctrine. And Carol's like, okay. And if she has a problem with it, and she says, you know what, I'm going to go start a lawsuit. We will show that she's agreed to be a member of this church. We'll show this is our discipline procedure. And the civil courts in our country will say, Hey, Carol, you're a member of this church. They've got a procedure. You have to abide by that. You agreed to abide by that. That's the truth. I had this conversation with a, with, with a brother in Christ this week as he was wrestling with, why should I do this? This is why, to me, membership is a big deal. Are you part of God's church, the kingdom of God? Absolutely. But you are not under the authority of any elder. You're not. Now, this is not me trying to tell you become a member or go somewhere else. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying wrestle with it. And if you don't join the church for five years or for ten years or never, you can still come to church here. We'll still love you. We'll still minister to you. It's all good. But understand that you're not subjected to our authority. It's not just about voting privileges. It's about committing to say I'm part of this body. Right? And that was kind of a rabbit trail on accident. New believers, though, I see them doing a lot better. You get a new believer, somebody who gets saved. I, I, I've done this. I, I have the spiritual gift of evangelism. It's one of the gifts that's been evidenced in my life, affirmed by a lot of other people that I have that gift. So, like, sometimes I can say the most ridiculous stuff and still somebody gets saved. And people are like, how's that happen? I'm like, that ain't because it ain't me, it's God. Right? They're like, you sneezed. And, and somebody said, bless you. And the person's like, I want to be blessed. And next thing you know, they're getting saved. I'm like, it's not me, it's God. And it really isn't me. Right? It really isn't me, it's God. It really, a serious as a heart attack. I, it's not about me, it's about Him. But I have that spiritual gift, and I see, so I've seen a lot of people come to saving faith in Christ. And almost every single one of them says, what do I got to do to become a member of the church? What do I got to do to commit to be a part of this? And it's not until we get injured in a church that we start shying away from that commitment. If you've been injured in a church whether it was this church or another church. I know I'm not that pastor, but I want to repent for that. I want to say I'm sorry. It isn't what God intended. Please receive the repentance and let God begin to heal your heart. I'm subject to authority. I'm a member of this church. But I've been hurt in the church too. But I don't quit. I don't give up on it. 
It's Jesus' bride. You tell me how much you love me, but you tell me you hate my wife, Sarah. I will tell you, you do not love me. Because that is my wife you're talking about. People say that they love Jesus, they just don't like the church. Can I just tell you in one of John's epistles, I want to say it's 1 John, it says that if we say we hate our brother, love God, that we do not love God, it is a lie and the love of God is not in us. Go read it. So, next week we're going to have homework. I know this message is going to be kind of hard to accept. I know that churches went overtime a little bit today. Forgive me. But, but I know that this message is kind of hard to accept because inside of American culture, the homework will come up in just a minute. And it's hard to accept because we are taught inside of America that Christianity is not about keeping rules. I wholeheartedly affirm that Christianity is not about keeping rules. It is about a relationship. Okay? But if you have the relationship, you'll keep the rules. My wife has a rule that I am not allowed to have intercourse or even think about having intercourse with another woman. Because of my relationship with her, I follow that rule. I cannot say, well, no, baby, I do love you, so the rule doesn't matter. And y'all are giggling because y'all know it's true. Amen? Right? Right? I shared it with a sister this morning. In Australia, there are two ways that farmers use primarily to keep their cattle on their land. The first is that they build a fence, a nice fence around the perimeter of the land. This is rules. This is like rules. And the cattle stay in, but the cattle, they'll go up and and test the fence, won't they? And see how far the fence can bend and all of those things. That's legalism. That's rule keeping to keep you in the field. The other method that they use in Australia is to dig a well directly in the center of the property. And the water will keep the cattle close. This is relationship. In both scenarios, the cattle stay on the property. (laughs) One of them stays there because of water, because of relationship, because of this life-giving substance, and the other stays there because of a fence. Legalistic Christianity... And genuine, spirit-filled, grace-empowered, personal holiness on the outside look a lot alike. They look a lot alike. You cannot judge what it is from the outside. If it's legalism or spirit-empowered, spirit-filled Christianity. You have to get to know somebody and find out why they're doing what they're doing. Do you understand where I'm coming from? I know this is hard to accept because this is kind of contrary to what the scriptures teach. That's why today our homework for this week is going to be Monday, Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Tuesday, Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through chapter 3, verse 6. 
Wednesday, Hebrews chapter 3, starting in verse 7 and ending in verse 19. Thursday, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1 through 13. Friday, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, and ending in chapter 5, verse 10. And Saturday, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11, through chapter 6, verse 2. Let me share something with you really quick. You say, well, why are you bridging over these chapters and all this stuff? There were no verse marks and there were no chapter marks in the original scriptures. No verse markings, no chapter markings. Verse markings and chapter markings are given to us. We've added those in so we can all find the same place. Right? They weren't there originally. Verse markings or chapter markings, neither one. We're looking at units of thought. As the writer of Hebrews was empowered by God to write. As you read this this week, ask yourselves, is there some level of conduct that the writer of Hebrews is saying that we as Christians should have in our life? Because I want you to understand as we move forward, holiness, personal holiness, is not opposed to grace in another way let me put it like this grace is not opposed to effort grace is opposed to earning grace is not opposed to effort it is opposed to earning homework my wife asked me to explain this she feels like maybe somebody doesn't know what it is and that's cool Homework is scriptures that we encourage, and I give different ones each week, for you to read and weigh what I'm saying. Is it biblical? Am I preaching the truth of God, or is Jerry making this up? I don't expect you to believe me automatically. Even if I'm your pastor for 20 years, and and 20 years from now, you've said under my ministry, 20 years from now, I'm not going to expect you to believe me. I want you to hold my words up next to the Bible. If I just expect you to believe me because I say it from the pulpit, I'm no better than a cult leader. I want you to hold it up next to the word. Is God speaking through our pastor? The word will affirm it if he is. Does that make sense? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we know we went over time today, but we ask you to just fill us afresh and anew. We've listened to a long sermon. We've had a long prayer time for for healing for people and all of those things. And Father, we just pray for grace in this and mercy and truth. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.